Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Hey, folks, I'd like to welcome uh, Mr. J.M. Van Eaton to the Diddy TV studio. Uh, this guy here was the session drummer at the legendary Sun Studios back in the 50s. He's played on all those great records. I'm talking Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, 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 Billy Lee Riley, uh, Harold Jenkins, Conway Twitty, Roy Orbison, Charlie Rich, you name it. Uh, this guy right here was there when rock and roll was invented. Uh, he, he's uh, the last man standing, so to speak, next to Jerry Lee, last of the Mohicans. So uh, we're just really fired up to, to have him here today. Some of these questions you've probably been asked a lot of times before, but for, for the fans out there, uh, let's just kind of start at the beginning, okay? So uh, yeah, Whatever, uh, yeah, the beginning yeah, would be a good place well, to let's start. Let's skip all that formal education stuff and get right down to the business of rock and roll. So, <laughs> okay. so, so okay. the first time you, you, you walked into a studio, I mean, was the word rock and roll even being used yet? I'm not sure rock and roll was, but uh, it, it probably was. My, my first venture in the sun was in 1955, probably. Uh, and we went in, uh, Elvis kind of changed everything in Memphis. You know, when, the, when once Elvis came along, he, uh, everybody wanted to be a, the next yeah. Elvis, you know. So uh, I, I was playing with a guy named Jim Williams, who uh, did get a record out on Sun, but uh, he kind of got me in there first. And later on, I came in with a group called the Echoes. And when I went in with the Echoes, they, they were more like an Elvis band with uh, guitars and so forth. Uh, but you, you could uh, pay to, to uh, give them like $15 to cut an acetate dub, like kind of like Elvis did for yeah, his yeah. mother, you know. And uh, that's, uh, when I did that, uh, Jack Clement had just been hired. Sam had hired him because he had produced a record on Billy Riley called okay. Trouble Bound. Okay. And that record got Riley. Uh, they went. They took it to Sam to have it mastered. But uh, and when Sam heard it, he he loved it and gave Riley a record deal. Well, getting back to the other, uh, getting back to the uh, to getting into the studio, uh, when they heard me play and they heard the bass player, then they offered us a job because Riley didn't have a drummer. Okay. So here I am. A uh, 17 year old high school kid, you know, and, and the guy's already got a record out, so I thought, man, I had arrived, yeah, you know. Yeah, you made it. 
but uh, that was kind of my first step of getting in the sun. So, 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 paint a picture of the local scene back then, like like here in Memphis. Like, what was it like? What was going on? Well, like I say, but but prior to Elvis, you know, you were listening to big band stuff out of the Peabody Hotel, mm-hmm. and uh, I was kind of into Dixieland music coming out of New Orleans on Sunday night. In Memphis, you could uh, you could hear the Dukes of Dixieland from the Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans, and I was my first talent show was like a Dixieland band. Okay. But then when Elvis, like I said, when Elvis came along, he changed everything. Okay. So everybody wanted to uh, start playing. Here's here's my take on on what changed music. When when guitars and drums collided. That changed music forever. Okay. Uh, but prior to that, you know, the guitars mainly on the Grand Ole Opry, they didn't have drums. So drums were kind of taboo back in the day. Uh, absolutely. If they had any at all, they put them behind the curtain, you know, yeah, yeah. so nobody could see them. So when the, when the drums were finally brought and mixed with the guitars, that changed. If you stop to think about it, all the successful bands from that point on, man, whether it's uh, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, the Eagles, okay. they're all basically drums and guitars, man. Yeah. You know whether it's electric bass or upright bass, so that uh, that's what changed my 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 take on what people say. What is your influence? What is that? And you're influenced by a lot of different music. You know, yeah. you got gospel, you got rhythm and blues, you got uh, country, so and so forth. But what really changed it all, in my opinion, of course, being a drummer. But when they start, when they put the drums with the guitars. Man, that changed it. And it hasn't changed since. All yeah. the bands, even today, man, in, in this day and time. So, yeah, some of those early recordings of, uh, of Sam I and mean, Elvis, I mean, there, there, there were no drums. Correct. It was, just, it was Scotty and, and Bill and Elvis. So, uh, I guess by the time guys like Jerry Lee came around, that's when you walked in. Right. So, uh, well, what were the events that, that led up to you coming to Sun for the first time well, and, and being a session drummer? Getting in with the Echoes to do this uh, acetate dub thing I was telling you about, uh, when they heard me and, and, and Riley, I met a guitar player named Roland James that, that particular day when we were uh, cutting this acetate. And uh, Roland told Riley about me. They came out. We were playing at a little club out on Summer Avenue in Memphis called the Rodeo Club. Okay. And on Friday night, the Rodeo Club would let teenagers come in. And on Saturday night, they had the adults, and so so we played out there on Friday night. And uh, they came to hear me play. And uh, in that band was a bass player named Marvin Pepper. Marvin, uh, they hired Marvin and myself to go with Riley. Man, we okay. were trying to get a record deal, and here's Riley already had one, so we okay. did that. Then after I was playing with, with Riley some, we were doing a few sessions, but no releases. Then I get a call from Jack Clement, I said, man, I got this cat from Louisiana. Uh, we had him in here the other day, but we'd like to hear what he sounds like with the band. And so they asked me if I'd come in and roll, and we went in, and uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, man. <laughs> I, never, I thought, man, this guy, this will never work, man. Here's yeah. a guy playing piano. You know, he don't look like rock and roll. He don't look like Elvis. He don't look like So what was Warren he like Smith. back in those days? I mean, what was, he, was he pretty humble, soft-spoken, or did he already kind of have uh, he was still No, nah, he was still a pretty cocky guy, man. Cocky, Even okay. then, he, he was very sure of himself. Yeah, yeah. You know. And he came in with a record called End of the Road. That was what he really, primary reason for coming up that day okay. was to record uh, End of the Road. 
But in the middle of all of this uh, recording session, we uh, ventured off into some other songs that Jack wanted to hear. Okay. And one of those songs was uh, Crazy Arms by Ray Price. My absolute favorite recording good song. Yeah. <laughs> so That's just it, you and Jerry Lee. That's just yeah. drums and piano, right? Well, Crazy Arms was number one by Ray Price at the okay. time. So we really wasn't trying to cut a record. Okay. You know, we weren't trying to, trying to get this record out. So uh, we were just kind of playing around having fun. It's just Jerry and myself. Yeah. And uh, Riley comes in at the very end and hits a guitar chord right on the very last note. Yeah. You can hear that if you listen closely. But uh, it was just the two of us, yeah. I love that recording right there. It's just it's, it's, it's so primitive, I and mean, it's just so simple, and you really got that shuffle going there with them. And, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah. I'm trying to play. You know, I'm used to listening to the fills from a guitar or from uh, coming out of a school band and orchestra, listening to the horn section, playing these fields i'm trying to play all of that on yeah, the drum yeah. you know so i'm just beating away man but so, so how many takes was that was that recorded? one take man we like one i say take. it was not supposed to be a record it was just wow. uh it was just a, let's have some fun type song and see if what else you can play and that so was somebody it. behind the glass i guess it was, guess it was cowboy jack said what's that exactly that's awesome. So, so uh, I think it was his request to ask Jerry if he knew that song. Yeah. Jerry had already sung a, three or four other country songs, you know. And Jack being a country artist anyway, yeah, yeah. he wanted to hear that. Glad he did. That is a great recording. Like I said, that, that, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. So so did that kind of open the door for you for being like a, a session drummer there? Did you get called for more sessions after that? It, I did. Uh the drums were brought to the front so much that everybody, I think it really opened the door for some drummers because yeah. a lot of kids wanted to start being played. You could actually hear the drums on the recording. So, so, so how did you, I've always been curious, how were drums recorded in that, that small room there at Sun? Because drums are loud, you know, you have bleed, you only have very few microphones. Like, how'd y'all do it? We had to muffle the drums down a good bit, you know. I would put uh, my billfold on top of it or whatever would be handy to, to deaden the, the sound because you would bleed over into the vocal yeah, lines. Yeah. And I only had one microphone. They had like a gooseneck microphone that they pulled down and uh, I may lay a towel or something across the front just to get a dead sound. And uh, once we once that record hit and then uh, we did a couple of more and we got that sound and everybody wanted that sound on the record. So yeah. consequently, uh, that mistake, if you will, led you know, open the door for me to get a lot of recording sessions. Okay. It's just like in uh, anywhere else where they're cutting music, everybody wants if, if it's something that's selling, they want that on their record. Yeah. So they kind of like that drum sound. And there wasn't a lot of drummers around at that time. Yeah. So I, it really uh, opened the door quick. And next thing you know, I was getting a lot of, a lot of session work. Yeah, it sounds like it. So, so you were doing pretty much during that period of time, you were doing uh, sessions during the week and then playing gigs on the weekend. Right, playing with Riley on, on the weekend, mainly we do club dates over in Arkansas and, or wherever they're, they're let's. That was the reason that people were wanting to get a record so much is because they wanted to, uh, if you could get a record on the radio, then you could get more gigs. Yeah. Uh, we wasn't really thinking about being big superstars necessarily, but we sure wanted the record out to, uh, to give publicity for the band. And uh, if you had a record on the jukebox or uh, the radio stations were playing it, then you could draw a crowd at your live performances. So, so what what were audiences like back then? I mean, where did they did they sit? Did they stand? Were they attentive? I guess they danced. <laughs> I mean, like well, mo most of the we were we started with club dates. Okay. And then you would play. They they did, see small town. We have these things called street dances, 
and they'd rope off an area and they'd let, you know, have the band playing and the people would be out mainly dancing. Dancing was a big thing and that was one of the key elements of a recording. You had to play something that they could dance to. And so we were, we kept that in the back of our mind tempo-wise as far as uh, trying to play something that people could, you know, could dance to. And uh, man, that was, that was kind of the, the deal. And, and in the studio recording, uh, we had to keep, like we were talking earlier, we, we had to keep that down because our, our, our uh, I guess our barometer was if you could not hear the piano, which was not mic'd, yeah. uh, or amped, I should say, uh, then you were playing too loud. So today, today, most of the players in the studio play too loud. Yeah. And so we were playing a lot softer, and we would let the guy in the control room bring the volume up. And it worked, you know, it worked real well because they would always say, "Don't play so loud, don't yeah. play so loud." And they would always, you could hear some of these uh, outtakes and Sam telling the singers to get in closer to the, or yeah. don't get too close to the microphone, or little things like that, made a big difference yeah. uh, in the sound of these records. So I guess that was going to be my next question. So, so you, you're you're playing live at these venues and some of these bigger venues. Um, how, how, how could you hear things? Because if you look at all those old photographs, it was very, there weren't, you didn't have monitors back in the day. There, no. weren't, there weren't microphones everywhere. No, it, and you were playing in front of some pretty big crowds. So It was crazy. I, I never will forget uh, uh, playing at the, uh, uh, this auditorium over in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I was playing with Billy Wright and the Little Green Men yep. at the time. We had a record called My Gal is Red Hot. And that record. starts off cold. And <laughs> so you couldn't, you didn't have monitors for the uh, on stage. So all we were getting was the feedback from the auditorium. So he would be singing, "My gal is red hot." Well, we were measure behind, yeah, doing your gal ain't doodly squat. So that was kind of, kind of a weird. But you may do, man. It's like uh, you know, it's well, like you even hear the upright bass player on, on those bigger venues. Or? Uh, not really. You could hear the guitar. Now the guitar, oh, was yeah, always, they, they had man, he always yeah. had his amp, and 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 I could hear. Uh, you know, once we got into the song, man, we were so well rehearsed. We, you know, we knew where we were at yeah. at any time in the song. So if you couldn't necessarily hear the vocals like you would like to today, uh, you could still make it happen. Now, yeah. when I was playing with Jerry Lee, I had to have visual contact with keyboard. Okay. So I could see, you know, I could tell when he's going to stop or whatever so that wow. was that was important for me more so you know so so on the weekends you're gigging so how far out of town did, did you go i mean was it how? we would probably stay within a hundred hundred fifty mile radius of memphis okay you know, we would that go wasn't too bad no it wasn't bad at all we, and, and we eventually i would go on tour with bands we would go to canada and then we'd go to florida and go out in texas and uh, different groups i you know i'd be gone longer but yeah. uh i was at the right place at the right Sounds time like because that. uh Actually, I got to tour with uh, Jerry Lee and tour with Conway Twitty and tour with Roy Orbison. And uh, so it was, and then, of course, Billy Riley. I always thought Billy Riley was going to be a superstar. Yeah. I thought that band, we had great musicians in that band. And so we could support any record. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could play anything. We, we looked, uh, the band looked good on stage. You know, they were vibrant and running around and doing all this stuff we got a uh, guy standing on the bass with yeah. taking his coat off and a horn player down i'm standing up playing and so all that was uh, was made the visual part of yeah. your show look good and then uh 
Y'all had like green suits. Yeah, too, we right? had that, that green suits. Especially made. Yeah, we did, man. Uh, that's another. That's another story. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, back in those days when you're touring, uh, uh, I'm assuming you didn't have a tour bus back in those days. So it was just two. No, nah, man. One, one, back vehicles. then, if back if you had a trailer, that's okay. like today's tour bus. So okay. any, so any of the guys that that had a pull a trailer behind the the, the car. That was a cool thing to have, yeah. man. And uh, a lot of bands didn't even have that. And you would take the, this upright bass, and we would actually strap that on top of the car. And you still had to fit a drum kit in there, too. I had to put How drums in the done? back, man. <laughs> well, you know, you, you can make it work, man. Yeah. If, you, if you don't know any better, you know, that's the last way with life. If you're yeah. not, you know, uh, like they say, if you never had steak, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich works just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we can make that work, yeah. you know. And, uh, man, we we've uh, we went on tour. We were, we were out with uh, Roy Orbison in, uh, I think it was in uh, Georgia or, or Florida somewhere, uh, Brunswick, Georgia. And we were coming back, and it was like five or six of us in a 1957 Chevrolet. And we had the base on top. It started raining. You'd have to get the base inside somehow. Yeah, yeah. We looked like a clowns in these circus where all them clowns come out of a, out of a, <laughs> a you know, one of them little Volkswagen. You yeah, get yeah. about twenty clowns Just come out of them thing. Car, That's yeah. kind of way we look. To save the to save the <laughs> to save the doghouse base. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, so venues back then. So. I guess venues were still fairly segregated back in those days. I, I know they were. Did did you ever like run into some of those uh, uh, those guys like 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 Howlin' Wolf or or Chuck Berry or, or Little Richard? Did y'all ever cross well, paths? Well, eventually we did, but not not on the, on the front end. We didn't. Okay. You know, I I, I didn't anyway. I, I I missed some of those tours where they got on these Alan Freed okay. shows where yeah, they yeah. where they would have the uh, uh, other artists, but. I wasn't uh, around on those, but uh, we did we did a few shows where they would be there, you know. Yeah, yeah. But they were still playing to white audiences, even yeah. though even though you have some black entertainers on the show. Mm-hmm. But that, but that was but most of the most of the things I went on where they would have this like Sun package with all the Sun yeah. artists. It'd be Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee and Billy Riley and Warren Smith and Roy Orbison and those guys. They put on you know to have a show. Okay. So Johnny Cash, I read somewhere that that uh, uh, your first session with Johnny Cash didn't go too well. Well, it, one <laughs> of the now one of the one of the songs we were cutting, uh, we it, it went well, but I don't think Johnny really was ready for a drummer at gotcha. that time. Uh, he was doing quite well with just the Tennessee two. Yeah, and uh, so Jack Clement was wanting to, I guess, have a bigger production. So they, he did. He wrote this song called "I Don't Like It," but I guess things happen that way in "Ballad of a Teenage Queen," and he wanted to put uh, the drums on that. But uh, I think that probably what you're referring to, we, we were cutting a song by Johnny Cash called "Straight A's in Love." Okay. And you can actually hear the drum backbeat, and I'm kind of getting in my rock and roll m- frame of mind on that session, and so I reach up and just unconsciously hit a cymbal crash. Yeah. And he, you know, he went berserk. Don't do that. <laughs> so it kind of freaked him out and me. You got so, reprimanded by the man in black. So uh, <laughs> uh, he, but uh, I enjoyed, we finally, before it was out of there, we cut, we cut, I think about 20 songs on him because he was obligated to sound 
to come up with a couple of albums before he left. He had already signed with Columbia, but yeah. he owed Sam this material. So they rushed us in there to cut that stuff in about two or three So weeks. he ended up being the most consistent hit maker on the Sun record label, right? He had more hits than anyone, is that correct? I, you probably know more okay, about that yeah, than yeah, I yeah. do. But Apparently I, but Jerry Lee sold more records than anyone, well, but, but Johnny had more hits. I probably saw yeah. and I, Now that you've mentioned it, I'm, I'm sure he did. He had, a, he had quite a few. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so by the time you came into the scene, so Sam wasn't recording as much. By the time he'd already hired Cowboy Jack to do most of the engineering. Right. So did you still see him from day to day back uh, in the Sam days? would come in, depending on the artist we were cutting mm-hmm. with. Uh, he, would, he would come in most Jerry Lee stuff. Okay. Uh, he might be up front, but, uh, but particularly he had a very particular interest in Jerry Lee. Okay. And, and I remember him being at more Jerry Lee sessions than any of the other. Okay. But they would come in at night or later and, and have a listening session, sit down and go over what we'd recorded. And if he liked it, he'd put it out. If he didn't, he you know, went on the shelf somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so of all those guys, so I guess uh, uh, Jerry Lee and Charlie and Roy and Johnny, Sam included, who was your favorite guy to hang out with? Who was the best guy to have a beer with? Oh, man. Uh, I, I, I always uh, – like I, I was fortunate enough to be able to play and, and hang out with all those guys. But Riley was probably my, you know, I really thought that we were going to have a. You a, spent the most time with him. I spent like, more time with, with, with yeah. Riley. And, and I spent quite a bit of time with Orbison. We got to be pretty good friends before he left. Uh, and what, 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 what I didn't hang out much with Johnny Cash. Okay. And, and I didn't, I, you know. Elvis would pop by, but I wasn't one of Elvis's uh, musicians. I mean, we'd go out to his house. He would invite us to his parties yeah. and things. But uh, but Orbison, we, we we hung out a good bit. Now I, I I like Warren Smith. He was a good guy to hang yeah, out yeah. with. I I went on tour with him some. Okay. And uh, that that was that was pretty neat. And, and what Roy Orbison tracks did you play on at time? What, what was it Doobie Doobie or? No, he'd already he had a band. We were he was right in the middle of having a recording session. And they took a break, and the band went back to Texas. Okay. <laughs> and so there he was without a band. I get a call. This was actually Sam called me, and he called uh, uh, a bass player, uh, Stan Kessler, yep. to come in and help him finish up the session. That's the first time I ever met Roy. We were cutting a song called Sweet and Easy to Love and Devil Doll. Devil Doll, And okay. so we uh, we got those records recorded, and uh, then, then – uh, Roy hung around Memphis for a month or so after that. So we did uh, Chicken Hearted and yep. uh, Claudette. We actually did uh, Claudette wasn't supposed to be out. He wrote that song for the Everly Brothers. Everly Brothers had a hit record on it, and uh, but we, uh, we we did the outtake on it. But that that's wound up on box set. So I played. So I can't remember. It was two or three others, but I can't yeah, yeah. remember the name of them. Uh, but Sweet and Easy to Love and Devil Doll were the main ones that. And when I first met Roy. So so did you get any gold records for any of those recordings you played on? You they, I have not got the first gold record. I've been meaning to talk to them about that. Okay. So I'm just guessing <laughs> I, that, no, that, that your house has gold records. Well, here's the, the thing. Uh, before Shelby, Shelby Singleton bought, as you know, the yeah. uh, rights to the record parts of Sun, and he was going to get me all these gold records. And uh, before he passed away, but we didn't get around to it. I did get one particular award from them. It was called the Sam Sun Award. Okay. 
and uh, it was named after Sam Phillips and Sun Records. And uh, it was called it was Sun's Greatest Session Drummer. And it was a nice little gift. They gave that to me at the uh, Rockabilly Hall of Fame in Jackson one night. Okay. And Shelby, Shelby Singleton presented that to me. So I've got that on on display. Okay. Uh, uh, that was pretty cool. But uh, we well, would talk. Somebody owes you some gold records. We so had talked if, about if, these, if everybody's watching this. Yeah, thank you very much. Records. The, yeah. I'm sure I would be qualified for a few. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, got a question? Might put you on the hot seat for just a second. So, so it's been because you were there, but uh, it's been this long going debate for like 60 plus years. Uh, uh, who really recorded Elvis Presley for the first time? Was it Sam <laughs> or was it the secretary Marion Keisker? What did? You, what have you heard? <laughs> I've heard the same story you have. I've okay. heard both sides of the story. It wouldn't, I, I, I wasn't there when, when Sam and, and Marion were, she was there just briefly while, when I, I came on, around. So I'm not sure what took place. I, I just saw what people told me, you know, through the years. I don't think that she, I don't, she never recorded anything that I was involved in. And I don't know that she would be back there pushing buttons to record okay but it, it was such a primitive thing it would have been a very easy thing to do is to just go hit the record button yeah so that's possible but i i, I can't help you yeah. with that man so, yeah. i wish i could as the story goes you know elvis walks through the front door and he wants to to make a recording for his mother's birthday and sam was not in the building that day so so marion keisker actually made that very first recording of my happiness that's how the story goes I didn't hear that story until yeah. after they would, until she had passed away. Yeah. So I couldn't verify that. And, and of course, Sam's not around to tell us, and Elvis is not either. So yeah. I don't guess we'll ever know. Well, that's yeah. one of those unlocked mysteries. Man. I've heard some pretty heated debates on this. So I was just wanting to see what you're help on you. That. I can't help you with that, <laughs> man. I, uh, and I don't know anybody that really could because all the primary players are no longer with yep. us. You are the last man standing, <laughs> J.M. and Jerry Lee. But uh, uh, well, there's there's a few still around, but uh, I'm thankful that I'm still able to get around and do what I can do. You know, he still plays those drums too, y'all. I'm a blessed man. Earlier. <laughs> so uh, 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 yeah, go back real quick. Uh, we have we, we we had a mutual friend, uh, Mr. Roland James, who 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 I got to record with quite a bit and. And uh, uh, for those who don't know who Roland James is, uh, explain to uh, to the audience here that the, the genius that is Roland. Well, Roland was uh, a great guitar player. Uh, I met him, like I say, when I first uh, first came to Sun. He's one of the first guys that I met, and uh, we struck up a, a mutual friendship. And then uh, played on a lot of sessions through the years. He, he was the one that plays the. Uh, Intro to Flying Saucer Rock and Roll, which he and I got together, and he hit that this is a crazy. That's great intro too. Yes, yeah, you. One thing about there's a lot of records, but that that's that when you hear the intro, you know what what song it is. You know, you don't even have to hear the vocal yet. That might have been the first time somebody used a, a whammy bar on a recording. Uh, you know, it's, it's, Flying Saucer Rock and Roll is one of those records yeah, that yeah. once you hear that kick, you know what what the song's going to be. Yep. And uh, so we came up with that, and it was a pretty clever little little deal. But Roland, we stuck together. We have, we went on the road with Jerry Lee some, and Roland and I had a band. We played in a place called the Fleet Reserve. It was a club out in Millington for about five years, 
after I got off the road playing. So we stayed friends for a long time. He had a recording studio called Sonic Studio, mm -hmm. and I recorded there some. And we got in, into a venture. He and a couple of other guys started a record label called Reader Records, and we cut the first hit record that came out of High Studio over there. Oh, wow. Okay. A record called Mountain Love by Harold Dorman was cut at High Studio, and that was a, that charted. That's a big that hit. Was, that was back in around 1960, maybe. And uh, I cut an instrumental there called Beatnik and uh, Foggy. And Beatnik got, got quite a bit of airplay. And, and every, it's kind of a far-out, hippie-type yeah, yeah. instrumental. And uh, I get some airplay around Halloween. You know, okay. it's one of those type, type of... So these are all songs. sessions you were doing outside, outside of, of Sun. Outside right. of Sun. Right. So that was the, like I said, the first hit record cut in that studio was Mountain of Love. Okay. And I recorded there with another uh, great artist, uh, Norval Feltz. We cut some songs over there. Okay. And uh, uh, that that and uh, uh, some other studios, you know, around Memphis were recorded at uh, what was Pepper Recording Studio. Mm -hmm. We cut some stuff over there. I don't think we ever had any really hit records yeah, yeah, out yeah. of there, but we did some recording there. Never recorded at Stax, but we did Fernwood. Now I recorded at Fernwood Studio. Mm hmm I recorded there with uh, Scotty Moore and, and Bill Black and the Jordanaire. We cut an instrumental on Scotty Moore called "Have Guitar, We'll Travel." Yeah. So that was uh, uh, that was a pretty cool little thing to, to play with the Elvis's band. Here I am still, you know, thinking, "Wow, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool," you know, because they were the hottest thing going at the time. Again, at the right place at the right time, right there. Yeah. But uh. Yeah, I guess another question I always wanted to ask you, I, I, I meant to ask you that's when, whenever I run into you in the studio, but since we're here, me being from Arkansas and all, I wonder, did, did you ever run into the, the Ronnie Hawkins when you were out there playing all those old clubs? And uh, Ronnie Hawkins and I go back a long way. So you do know it's awesome. <laughs> I'll tell me. Ronnie Hawkins, I first met Ronnie Hawkins in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Okay. He was either going to school or he was running a club over there called, I think it was called the Shamrock Club. And we would go over there with Riley's band, the Little Green Men. We played there, played the university a lot of times. And I was over there with Roy Orbison, I remember one time. And Ronnie would always want to get up and sit in with the band. And he was like a, a white James Brown, if yeah. you will, man. He was all over the <laughs> stage. He was, you know. His vocals wasn't as great as his showmanship, <clears throat> but he uh, he was uh, man. He was very popular even even there. You know, nice looking guy, and the ladies liked him and everything. But uh, I ran into him after I had gone to Canada with and started playing up there with Conway Twitty and some of those guys. And so one day I ran into to, uh, Ronnie at the Cotton Club over in West Memphis, Arkansas, one night and was telling him about Canada. And, and I said, man, if you could get you a band together and go to Canada, they would love you up and there. that's where he blew up. And yeah. sure, soon enough, he did. A few weeks later, he put guys together. He had LaVon Helms on drums. and that's uh, my next question. And a couple of other guys. And they, they went up there. And, man, as far as I know, he's still up there. Yeah. He, uh, I think he lives in Toronto. He's still alive, right? Still alive. He, he had some health issues at one time, but he's uh, – uh, he's still still yeah. there, and uh, yeah, we 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 go back a long way. And I have talked to him on the phone a That's few awesome. times since then. That's so. awesome. Yeah, Levon Helm, one of my one of my all time favorites. Uh, uh, 
highly regarded as one of the great rock and roll drummers. Uh, he, he says that uh, he, he got his start because of you. I've heard that I story. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so, that uh, what are your thoughts on Levon? Uh, have, have you ever have met Levon or hung out with him? Or I, I, actually, actually, I've never met him that I remember. Yeah. I think early on, Ronnie used to send him over to my gigs to kind of steal my licks. Okay. You know, he would tell me that. But. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm sure I met him early, but I didn't realize that he was going to be what he became. You yeah, know? yeah. Because I, I really liked his singing. You know, I loved when he got with great the band singer. and they yeah, started yeah. doing. I thought he was a better singer than he was a drummer, to be honest about it. But he was a great drummer too. And and uh, uh, I tried to go see him before he passed away, and we made a little contact, but we just never could work it out okay. to get up there. But uh, yeah. I, that was a cool story, too. Yeah, yeah. I saw him a few times right before he passed, back when he was singing again, and it was great. It was yeah. awesome. But I read quite a few few interviews where he said uh, uh, seeing you for the first time playing with uh, Billy Riley is what inspired him to, you know, get a drum set. I think yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. So I guess uh, end of the 50s, end of an era, so to speak, uh, uh, the whole Stax thing was kind of moving in, and, and you – you sort of drifted away from the music business for a little bit. Like, what, 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 were, what were your reasonings, or what did you see some kind of writing on the wall, or what, what were you thinking back then? Well, session work had slowed down for me and and uh, son and what was going on over at Phillips at the time, and um, I'd gotten married and had a child on the way, and I just could not make enough money yeah. to do the things I wanted to do, uh, playing music full time. But I never quit playing. Like I said, uh, Roland James and I had a band, and and we played uh, even uh, even after I got into the vending machine business. I had a company called Mid South Vendors. Okay. And I had uh, I had jukeboxes and pinball machines and candy machines and all that kind of stuff. So I did that. I did that for a long time, and that supported me. Uh, you know. Then what really kind of got me back going again, uh, inspiring me. Uh, I actually, I had a, I had like a, uh, a religious conversion, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle of all this. And I didn't think I'd ever play again, to be quite honest about it. As I, I thought, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer and I thought what was happening to me, I, I really couldn't figure it out. I packed my drums up and then I got a call and I got involved in a gospel music group and we started playing gospel music for about three or four years. And that got me started writing songs, you know, gospel songs. And, and it was a real, probably one of the most rewarding times in my life, to be quite honest about it. But then I got an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C., uh, probably around 1985. Uh, they, the uh, Smithsonian Institute has a music festival up there that lasts for two weeks. And they, it was Tennessee's the year for Tennessee to be represented at this festival. Every year they have a different state. Yeah. So they picked up a bunch of different artists from Nashville and Chattanooga and up in the hills, and they had like, they had like bluegrass bands and, and quartets and every kind of music you could think of. But they wanted somebody to represent the rockabilly. So we put together a band called the Sun Rhythm Section. It was uh, Sonny Burgess and Stan Kessler and, and Paul Burleson, Smoochie Smith and uh, uh, Marcus Van Story. And it seemed like maybe it was Sonny Burgess and myself. There were six of us. I, if I left out somebody, I'm sorry. But we went up there, man, and uh, uh, 
just had a great time. We yeah. started the first first show we did. We had about like twenty or thirty people at our show, so we were doing a, one or two shows every day during the daytime. The next day there would be like a hundred, and the next day it would be two hundred. But before the two weeks was out, we had thousands of people wow. coming to hear the Sun Rhythm Section. Yeah, yeah. And so next thing I knew, I was back in the music business on doing that stuff. But anyway, we we uh, we were playing, and Bob Dylan had a concert over at the RFJK Stadium that day or that weekend, and he came to hear the Sun Rhythm Section play, and that was pretty cool. That's cool. But uh, that band got so popular and got so popular so quick. They started touring again, but I had so many. By now, I had other business interests in yeah. Memphis. I couldn't go, so I let. Told them, I said, "Man, y'all gonna have to find somebody to take my place." And they got DJ Fontana, Elvis's first drummer. Okay, took yep. my place with the Sun Rhythm Section. But that was that was fun, man. They uh, that that got us around, you know. So is this about the same time? So so uh, you, you hooked back up at Jerry Lewis sometime in the '80s. Was that before the Sun Rhythm Section or after? About the same time. I I get this call. J, J. W. Brown, uh, Jerry Lee's uh, road manager, mm -hmm. calls me one day, and I'm at my office, and he uh, actually he called me because he wanted me to sign a release form for the movie Great Balls of Fire, which it took him several years before they got around to making the movie, but they wanted to use my character in the movie, and so I signed that, and he said, "Oh, by the way, what are you doing tonight or this weekend?" I said, "I'm not doing anything, man." Well, Jerry needs a drummer. He's got these gigs this weekend and don't have a drummer. I said, oh, man, I don't think I can do that, man. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I want to get to do this or not, you yeah, know, because yeah. I'm still thinking the Lord don't want me out here playing this rock and roll music. So I, anyway, I go home and I tell my wife about it, and she says, man, you ought to go. You'd probably like it. You might enjoy going out. So I, I said, well, I'll call J.W. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking, well, they've already got somebody by then, so I ain't got to worry yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So I called him. He said, nah, man, we, we ain't got anybody yet. And I said, well, I think I'll go. So this was like, now it's like 4.30 or 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. He's got a gig Friday night in Corpus Christi, Texas. So I don't know how we're going to make this happen, you know. He said, well, meet us at the airport. At this time, Jerry Lee's flying in the Learjet now. So it's, you know, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So I get out there. Have made it. Yeah. I'm getting out there, and, and we, we get on the airplane, and, uh, man, right before the thing starts to take off, I'm thinking, this is where my life is going to end, right here on this airplane. I'm not supposed to be here. You know, it's, I can see the headlines tomorrow, man. Here's this Jerry Lee and his drummer that died in an airplane crash. Thank God it didn't happen. Yeah. But I, those were my thoughts, honestly. When that thing was taking off, I thought, I'll never see the ground again. But we played Corpus Christi, that was on a Friday night. We played uh, Dallas, Texas on uh, the next night, Saturday night. And we played down in New Orleans on Friday, on Sunday afternoon, and I was back at work on Monday morning. So, so how were those gigs? <laughs> I mean, how was it? Oh, it was great, man. We were, back then, we were... Those you had played with Jerry Lee in like 25 years. I hadn't played, years, hadn't played so. a lick with him, and then we played, we, I mean, we didn't miss a beat. So, so, was, so how much had, had, he, had he changed in 25 years? Uh, he was, he had probably changed quite a bit, but he, not to me personally, gotcha. uh, he, he always treated me well, you know, and, and, and the, show, that same the shows, the shows, the Sundays. It, it's, it's really unbelievable, man, how you can just pick up and never rehearse. I mean, I just, 
I hadn't played with him and like, like you know, here it is, uh, what I say, 80, 80, early 80s, mid 80s, and we quit playing together in the 60s, so we're looking at 25 years yeah. probably. And we just go out there and do it, man. You just yeah, there's this quote that where Jerry Lee says, uh, uh, JM was rock and roll's most creative drummer, so he, he was obviously a fan. Well, we, yeah. we, we, we made it work, man. I enjoyed the heck out of it, you know. I was just, but uh, there again, I wasn't ready to hit the road tour yeah. again, so that's, that's what, but uh, I think I'm a, I'm a Jerry Lee Lewis fan, man. I always thought he was one of the best, and I, I love his music. He's I, my favorite, and, and I always loved him as a, as a country music singer. He, he's often I, overlooked as a country music singer, and I still think he's the most underrated country music singer of all time. I think he's the greatest. He, I'm with you, brother. He, uh, those records he, he did on Smash with oh, Jerry awesome, Kennedy. Oh, they're awesome, man. Another Place, Another Time. Uh, made Milwaukee. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, those were great records, man. Yeah. And uh, she even woke me up to say goodbye. Yep. Yep. I mean, he can sell a song. He can take a song. Most of his songs were cover songs, mm -hmm. but you, you would never know that. He made them his own. Yeah, I think, I think Jerry, and even Elvis kind of had this effect. Jerry Lee, like, once he sings a cover song, he owns that song. That's his song. Oh, exactly, that. man. Well, really Whole Lot of Shaking was a cover song. Man. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't that had been out before, and uh, me and Bobby McGee had a great record on that record, mm -hmm. you know. But I'm a I'm a Jerry fan even to this day. I wish him well, man. I hope he, I'm glad to see he's still out he there still trying. Plays gigs. Still doing, yeah. And, and it sounds pretty good too. Yeah. He he kept Kenny Loveless has uh, been with him forever, mm -hmm. and uh, I've been doing some gigs with his sister Linda Gale. We we still play some okay. shows together. She's a, she gets a lot of mileage out of out of that. She's good. Yeah. And she she can hold her own. So yeah. I, she can really uh, she's a very good entertainer. Yeah, she uh, I think she did a record recently with uh, uh not really Van Morrison. Van Morrison, yeah, but uh, I, that's been a few years back. But we did we went we played a gig over in Spain a couple of years ago. And uh we did one in Nashville. We 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 played for some, you know. But she uh she she tours a lot. And, and uh, like I say, she's, she can hold her own now, yeah. man. She, I'm sure on the get-go, just because she was Jerry's sister, got her a lot of stuff. But she, she like I say, she can. Uh, yeah, I've, I've run her. into her daughter a few times in my travels playing music. Right. Annie. Annie, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, she, she's sweet. Great. Yeah. Yeah, they're good people, man. Yep, yep. So I guess today uh, 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 you got your own record out uh the beat goes on which is awesome by the way i need to check it out <laughs> that's um, and, that's uh, another story man yeah, I, tell us about that story well I, I, when i started writing songs you know mm -hmm. and then uh, i had all these songs i wanted to get me a uh, some demos of these songs so james lott was working at the studio at the time and a guy named martin bell so i was in the studio one day uh, and and james was helping me record this stuff so i'd have some Say, being a drummer, I can't play the guitar or piano so yeah, I can yeah. tell somebody how they go, and I'm the only one that knows how the melodies go. So while I'm doing this stuff, well, Mark Bell comes through, and he says, man, I, I like it. Let's put a CD out. I said, yeah. you got to be kidding me, man. But uh, we, we pursued the project and actually got it out. And once we started doing it, then other people wanted to get on board. The, the guy that did the uh, design for the cover, and he volunteered all his yeah. Stuff and it's a professionally done. Oh, it's totally pro. Uh, so it's uh, you know it's not a it's a it got a lot of pictures inside that they put in. So I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Uh, I wish I was a better singer than than that, but uh, I think it turned out well. I think you sound pretty good. Don't yeah. underestimate yourself. Yeah, I can. I got a couple of songs there about uh, Memphis in '55. It's kind mm -hmm. of a 
my life story in a, in a short period yeah, yeah. of time there. So that, I see you here lately. You've been uh, you've been playing drums a little bit with Dale Watson. Yes, I, I'm, I'm Dale and I become friends. We uh, I met Dale. We were doing a thing for NBC TV. Uh, Lester Holtz was doing a a, a, a segment on uh, vinyl records. Mm -hmm. So he was in Memphis to see all this vinyl stuff and uh, what was going on and 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 so forth. Can you believe so, that vinyl has come back? No, I love it, man. Isn't that awesome? It. Yeah, yeah, you know what. What's old is new again, so yep. that, that's cool. So we we did that, and I met Dale, and then uh, I passed across again, and then uh, uh, got a chance to play with him and, and get to know him a little better. We actually have recorded uh, a song, and he got a studio in the basement of his house. He's moved, bought a house in Memphis, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, he's a thing. I think uh, having him here in Memphis is going to be a good thing. I think so too. You know? Yeah. And uh, he's got Celine. They they doing some things together. So that it's cool. So 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 how often are you gigging these days? So my, my, I follow Man. you on Facebook. I see that you always got you're, uh, you're you're still in the middle of it all, which I think is awesome. I I just kind of pick and choose yeah. what I want to do. I'm fortunate enough at this point in my life I can do whatever I want to, and if I don't want to do it, I don't do it. Yeah. You know? So are you still doing sessions? You still I've got, a, I've got a session coming up uh, shortly at Sun with a guy from uh, Europe. Uh, his name is uh, Sonny West. He's a guitar player and singer, or songwriter, record producer over there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he emailed me, and uh, or Messenger. I love all this new technology, man. Yeah, you yeah. can get, you know, you can get, uh, Get things out there like what we're doing today on the Diddy TV. Man, yep. how cool is that? Yep. Uh, so it's uh, it's great that you have these uh, uh, this opportunity to reach people. Yeah. So anyway, I, he he got me that way, and uh, so we 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 got kind of got a deal going. So I'm looking. I, I love how you embrace all the new technology. JM he hits me back on my Facebook Messenger, you know, with a with a thumbs up, like that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so we're. <laughs> We're, uh, man, I'm, I'm so far behind the curve, I hate to tell you, yeah. you know, really, but but I'm still ahead of my colleagues, you know. Yeah. I've got some of them, I have to help them, and that's really bad when I've got to help somebody. Yeah, but yeah. That's, uh, but, uh, man, my kids, my grandkids, they, they, they're whiz at all this stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little slow at it. I'm, I'm in my 40s, and I'm still trying to. Man, figured it all out myself. So well, the sad thing about it, man, me. once once you get behind the curve on this kind of stuff, you can't catch up. I yeah. mean, technology is changing so fast; it's it's hard for for me to to really you know catch up with all the new lingo, the new stuff, the yeah. new. Everybody's got like what we're doing today. I mean, ha, this is great, you yeah. know. But you couldn't have this venue yeah. a few years back, man. And it's, it has completely changed the music business. I think it's great yeah, because I, mean, I think I, man, it is too. mainstream. TV mainstream they they're they're missing out yeah I mean man the stuff they're running they're running reruns of all uh, and you you can't even get a video I mean they used to show music videos from time to time you don't you can't get that much anymore yeah so I think I think what what, what uh, you're doing here is awesome man. Yeah. it's yeah. a great venue and and I wish them well yeah for we're, sure we're, we're lucky yeah I uh I love how back in the old days you know Sam could get a hit recording take the original acetate down to Dewey and get it played the very next day, you know? And it seems like the music biz right. has kind of come back to that a little bit, you know? You can make a recording 
and get it up on SoundCloud or the internet that night, you know, and, and that's have vinyls what, back. Everything's kind of a big full circle, which that, I think is really cool. That's what's yeah. really cool about it. And uh, back then, you could you had TV shows uh, in the afternoon. You'd have these little dance party shows, mm -hmm. and you could get on Wink Martindale's show and locally and George Klein's show yeah. locally, and you got that TV exposure, and they would reach out, you know, but now you can't, there, to, to my knowledge, there's nowhere to go to do that yeah. on, on your main cable yeah. or your mainstream stuff. So with internet becoming what it has, you know, you've got so many different ways. And, and the younger people are more hip to this. You know, people my generation, they, don't, they probably yeah. don't even know this exists. Yeah. And I'm having to tell them, yeah, you need to, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to turn in. But the younger people, guys like your age and younger, they're all over this, yeah, man, yeah. and that, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. DDTV, y'all, man, it's right here. There you go. Yeah, I guess I'll leave you a last question. Um, um, I guess when you finally decide to go play that great gig in the sky, yeah, how do you want folks to remember J.M. Van Eaton? Well. Uh, that's hard to say, man. I really, I, that, uh, I, that I was, uh, a fair, humble guy, I guess, about, about all that I've had, you know, and I was a blessed guy, you know, I, I've really been blessed more than I deserve to be, and, uh, uh, you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking about this now if it wasn't for that, mm -hmm. so, uh, praise God. Thank you so much for coming Thank out. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ninety-two percent of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. Ninety-two percent because of a bike. Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 